Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'll invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to do a quick run through all of our Old Testament this morning. Uh, We'll go fast, I promise. Uh, But uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, you might want to flip along with me and just see where we're going. But our text to kind of start off this morning, uh, we're in in an Advent series. This is the final week of this, which is, we've titled The Longed For Son, uh, subtitled Living With Right Longing. And so this morning, we're going to get to the, the actual longed for son, Jesus. We've We've covered kind of the proto-euangelion we're going to see here in a little bit. We've talked about Samuel being born to Hannah. We've talked about Obed being born to Ruth. And now this morning we're going to talk about the birth of the Christ child. But our text for this morning is Luke chapter, 20, Luke chapter 2, starting in verses 22 through 35. You can follow along with me. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that being Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the, in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus... To do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So Christmas is not really primarily just a ceremony of sentimentality. It's easy to get caught up into it. I like sentimentality. I'm a very nostalgic guy. I like the traditions and, and all of these sorts of things. And there are, there are many sentimental moments to Christmas celebrations, especially when you've been repeating them year after year after year, the opening of the gifts, the having of certain meals, uh, your Christmas Eve traditions, and all of these sorts of things. There's, there's a lot of sentimentality, just kind of nostalgia and enjoyment of the, the sort of the spectacle of Christmas. 
Um, it's, but to the contrast, uh, a, a Christmas of sentimentality, one that is merely about the gifts or the food, the singing, the candlelight services, contrasts that sentimental celebration with what we hear from the mouth of Simeon at the temple. His response to seeing Jesus, like my, my house, we, add, we like to put up our Christmas lights. We like to drive around, and we love Christmas lights. Um, if you have a, a, a set of Christmas lights out and you're especially proud of, please let us know. We'll drive by and judge them and compare them to our own. Uh, yes, Friedrichs is pretty boss. It's pretty, it's good. It's lit. Uh, it, it, so uh, let, let us know. We love Christmas lights. We love all of that, all that that's going on. Um, but when Simeon, when he sees Jesus, he has an astonishing reaction. He's, he says now, basically, he says, now because I've seen this Christ child, because I've seen Jesus, I can die a happy man. I, I'm done now I can die in peace because I have seen this child. There is something more than sentimentality going on here with Simeon. He's not just enjoying some sort of like neat little baby. There, he's saying at the sight of Jesus, I am so satisfied in the revelation of this child, I can die and, be, and depart in peace, in joy and happiness because of of this child. Now, why does Simeon react this way? And I, I can think of kind of three answers to why Simeon might react this way. The first one might just be maybe Simeon is just someone who really enjoys things. Like we all know people who are just kind of, they, they, they rave about things. If they like something, they'll tell everybody they know about how much they like and enjoy this thing. Uh, one of the elders on our staff is, is like this. Uh, it's particularly when, when, when he uh, goes to something he really enjoys, you hear about it. And he'll tell everybody. And <laughs> I won't say which one, but one of them. <laughs> to the extent, I, I, love, I love church potlucks. Like, I've been, I've been raised on them. Like, I've, that's what we've always done. I, I go, I always find something I like. I love the dessert table, all of this stuff. I genuinely like a, a church potluck. But one time we had a church potluck that, that Jim remembered so fondly. He could not stop going on and on about how amazing this potluck was. And I'm like, it was a good potluck. But, but we all know people like this, right, who just, and, and is that, maybe that's Simeon. Maybe Simeon is just the kind of guy that like, you know, this is, he sees this baby and he's like, this is the most amazing baby ever. Maybe, that's, maybe, that's, maybe he's just that kind of guy. Maybe he's just so up and, and complimenting Mary and Joseph, he just gushes and gushes with praise. Maybe, but I doubt it. I doubt that every time he saw a baby, he, he just gushed with praise. So I don't, I don't think that's probably it. Maybe Simeon is just really easily pleased. Like maybe he's just, he just kind of generally likes everything. And so he's like this, you know, this baby, though it's nothing special to it. It's just, I, I, I appreciate things so much. I appreciate everything. I can now depart in peace because I, I have seen this child. He's not picky about anything. Maybe he just likes everything. Maybe Simeon's like this, and he's just glad that the baby that has come by, and every baby that comes by, he's just kind of glad to see. I was... Uh, had a, a meal at someone's house and a, another a pastor friend 
and, and we, they cooked a, a really great meal of like tortellini and all this cheese, and it was, it was really delicious, and enjoyed it, and, and ate it, and we were complimenting the meal, and how wonderful it is, and the conversation goes along, and, and this person's traveled the globe, and is talking about all the weird like diets, and all the weird food that he's eaten here and there, and I, I honestly think I would thrive in something like that. I love like weird kind of, I can eat whatever. Like we went on vacation and I had turkey and stuffing ice cream and matcha and crickets ice cream. I love the look in the crowd. Everyone's like, what? <laughs> and I ate it and I'm fine with it. So we're sharing this story and I'm like, you know, I can eat almost anything. I, I, I like everything. To which they said, so then the compliment about my food really didn't mean much, did it, earlier. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you got me. <laughs> it really. Maybe that's Simeon. Maybe he just kind of likes everything. Every baby that comes along the way, he's like, I just like babies, and I don't really care. I, I see a baby, and I'm excited. Maybe that's Simeon, but uh, it's not likely that this is him. What's happening here is Simeon is seeing something far more than is ordinarily seen in the birth of this child. We've got nativities all over the place. Every display, you know, I was, you know, the manger scene, the, the, the cradle is out in front of the house or wherever, and all of these things, the, the sentimentality of seeing Jesus, something more than that is going on with Simeon. When he sees this Christ child, he doesn't just get gooey-eyed and gushy because he's sentimental about babies. Or about traditions. He declares, I can now die in peace. He's seen the birth of Christ with different eyes than our modern celebrations see it with. And in order for this passage to really hit home, let's just orient ourselves a little bit with where we are in the timeline of everything. Go with me all the way back in your copy of God's Word to Genesis 3. We're not going to go through every book, but just Genesis 3.15. We've already mentioned this one. But this... Christianity has a very linear ver view of history. It has a beginning. It's got a middle. Lots of stuff goes on. It has a clear end. We don't view history as this cyclical event. It has a beginning, creation, ex nihilo, out of everything, Genesis 1-1, God speaks and everything comes into existence. Out of nothing, he makes everything. F creation. We have a very clear fall God, though he made everything good, it is now broken. Adam and Eve rebel and sin, and sin enters the world, and we have the fall of man. And that's just in the first three chapters of the book of the Bible. But tucked in the curse of the serpent is this verse in Genesis 3.15, where a promise, the first gospel, is laid out here. Genesis 3.15, God speaks to the serpent, to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity, hatred, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he, this offspring of the woman, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. A, a blow will be given to this offspring, a heel will be bruised, but in the bruising of that heel, the head of the serpent will be bruised, or some translations go ahead and cover, cover the the uh, what, what's going on there and say crushed it's a, it's a lethal blow to the to this serpent because of the crushing of this longed for son so creation fall redemption gets set into place and this longed for son is going to be watched for who is this one who's coming who is going to write what has gone 
wrong. Who is going to write what, what has gone wrong? There is this promise that a rescuer, a deliverer will come. to A rescuer from all the havoc that has been created by our sin and rebellion in God's good world. So we go on to Genesis. Let's just go to chapter 22. We've covered this. We were doing a series on Sunday mornings through the book of Genesis. And so we've covered this recently. But in Genesis 22 verse 15, we, we find out more about this coming son. This is during the, the sacrifice of Isaac and angel of the Lord after Abraham passed this test in, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15, angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring, this special descendant, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So we get another breadcrumb kind of on this trail of God working. There's someone's going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent, be bruised in the heel. He's actually going to come from the line of Abraham. He's going to be a descendant of Abraham. Flip on back to 2 Samuel with me, a few more chapters back. 2 Samuel chapter 7. So we, we've learned a couple of things about this longed-for coming son. But here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 10 through 13, we find more, I find out more about him. 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 10, says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. So this is God's words to David, King David. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Hear words of peace there. These are the people of God. God speaking to David. They're going to find peace. They'll be disturbed no more. Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. I and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So to, to, fit, to kind of understand where Simeon's coming from, here's this long anticipation that the people of Israel, the people of God essentially have been living with. And an offspring is coming. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. A rescuer is coming. He's going to come from the line of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Further down the line, he's going to come from David. He's going to be a righteous, rescuing king who's going to bring peace and rule forever and give rest to the people of God. This is the promise that's coming down to us, and we hear this in, the, in this prophecy, in this word from the angel of the Lord to David of what God is going to do. It is a wonderful promise. Who wouldn't love to dwell in a land where your enemies no longer oppressed you, and you had nothing but rest and peace, and that all God's goodness is fulfilled among his people? Who wouldn't want to live there? 
unfortunately, things just get worse from there. <laughs> As you read on in your Bible, right, we have David's son Solomon becomes king, and that goes all right, lots of prosperity, although Solomon strays away, and, and idol worship kind of comes rising back into the people of God. The nation splits, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, the northern kingdoms are, are taken off into Assyrian captivity around 700s B.C., and then about 100 years later, the southern kingdoms are taken into the Babylonian captivity where they spend 70 years before they come back and everything just just falls apart and these promises given to the nation of Israel of peace and tranquility and security and safety and joy and happiness and fulfillment is just blown to pieces <laughs> until Darius begins to send people back and we have this this temple worship is it was reestablished but it's a shadow of its former beauty it, it, it is not anything like it what it once was but during these dark days, prophets of God speak, and they say many things, but a very important refrain from among them is the continued promise of a coming rescuer. So we can flip to a passage like Isaiah chapter 9. If you're familiar with Christmas services, you probably hear Isaiah 9 read lots of times. Let's look at Isaiah 9. This continued promise, a rescuer is coming. Isaiah chapter 9 one of the prophets during this time of going into the exile, Isaiah, prophesying to the people of God during this great darkness, says this, Isaiah chapter 9, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Just the joy that's coming for the people of God. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. War ceases, turmoil ceases, joy rises up, rejoicing comes into the people of God. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you hear the longing these verses produce this longing for in the world of tumult that we live in this world of terror and and hard times and and war and struggle and death and 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 sorrow joy is coming and it's going to be in a son who's going to be the righteous ruling king the descendant of abraham the descendant of david we could look at a place like Psalm 2. We, you can read that later for yourself this morning. Speaking about kissing the Son, lest God be angry with you. The, the joy of this Son of God coming to rescue His people. How 
Will God, how should God's people respond when he shows up? Well, sadly, because he doesn't show up as this mighty righteous king as they expect him to, they don't respond well. Instead of coming and being on a, on a throne and, and laid in a, in a palace, he's laid humbly in, in a manger, in a feeding trough, in a stable. He's humbly born in the town of Bethlehem to a lowly mother. He's raised in a lowly town called Nazareth. But Simeon sees it. Simeon sees it. And because he sees him, sees this Christ child, sees this Messiah, even though he sees him only as an infant, he rejoices. He rejoices so greatly. I mean, think about, I can now die. There's, there's nothing more I need to see. The Savior has come. And so I re, he rejoices, and he, this longed-for son that he has been looking for has come onto the scene. When Simeon looks at this son, he sees the fulfillment of God's grand purposes being worked out before his very eyes. Simeon rejoices in the purposes of God being accomplished to such a, a degree that when he is that he is satisfied with his life. He finds peace with his little meaning and God's great meaning because all of it is being fulfilled. Back in Luke, where we started this morning, the Bible says that Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. He's looking for the, the consolation, the peacefulness, the, 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 the comfort of the people of Israel, of the people of God. He's waiting for God to fulfill his purposes for his people. And his life is so tied up in what God is doing, his, his little place, his place of significance is not in himself. His place of significance, his place of meaning is so anchored to what God is doing that when he sees the fulfillment of God's purposes, he can rejoice. Because his meaning, his longing is not for his, himself. His longing is for God's purposes to be fulfilled. So long as his meaning is placed within the great meaning of God, however small his life may be, he can die happy and satisfied because all that he truly longs for is satisfied because God is at work accomplishing his purposes. This is what he sees in the child being born to Mary. What meaning are you trying to give life? What longings give your life direction? Books like um, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, they get so much right when they say things like this. They say, there's a quote from this book. It says, those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. Those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. So if there's a big enough why, a big enough reason, a big enough meaning that almost any how it happens, you can live with because the, the why is big enough that it, that it governs over all the hows. And where Viktor Frankl kind of formulates this idea, he's a psychologist, where he kind of fires this, this understanding is in the, the prison camps of Auschwitz during World War II in a concentration camp. So he doesn't say this lightly. <laughs> there's, a, there's a real bad how going on in his life, but he's talking about with a big enough why, those who have a why to live, they can bear almost 
anyhow. But, but sadly, where, where Frankel goes astray, at least in the way that I've understood him, and if, you, if you're an expert on Victor Frankel and you want to correct me, you can. But where I think he's kind of gone wrong is that he's convinced that we create that why ourselves. That, that in order to have a big enough why to survive anyhow, get to work creating your why, which is a very modern way to think about a very modern understanding of our why. To some degree, sure, that's right. You need to think about your personal why. Why are you here? What are you doing? But you need to, con- and you need to consider where your longings point you towards. But the Christian worldview demands more. We need to, as God's creatures in God's world, discover first His why and, and link ourselves or find ourselves anchored in His great why. No why that we create will be worth the mental work it takes for us to, cre- to create it if it doesn't find itself firmly anchored in God's great why of it all. In our search for meaning, we default to an effort to make our own meaning. And the project gets exponentially complicated because we aren't just trying to have our lives being meaningful, but we're actually stuck further back trying to find the meaning of everything. If, if Viktor Frankl's made it too much for you, a, a different philosopher regarding life, um, Buddy the Elf, in his, uh, the, the great tale of him trying to discover his meaning, Right, it's, it's, it's kind of a Christian story, really, right? He's trying to find his father. He's, he's, he's been separated. I don't want to push that too far. He's been separated from his father, and he needs reconciliation, and it kind of comes through the son. But anyway, uh, Buddy gets upset, and he writes, and he says, I'm sorry I ruined your lives and crammed 11 cookies into the VCR. I don't belong here. I don't belong anywhere. And, and, and Buddy the Elf is, is searching for meaning, and he gets it. That if he can't find his meaning within a greater meaning, if he can't find a place to anchor himself, no amount of meaning that he creates for himself is going to win the day until he discovers where he really belongs. Where is his meaning? Where does he belong? But what if the objective isn't to make meaning for yourself? but it is to discover our place in the meaning that is already there. What if true peace and rest is not in you trying to figure out your private meaning, but is understanding where your existence fits in God's bigger purpose and God's bigger meaning? What if all that longing and disappointment that just kind of comes with this world comes from chasing a meaning that doesn't exist in any significant way? We run around like a guy making a ton of preparations, buying gifts, getting a haircut, shaving, uh, dressing up as nicely as possible, putting on his good cologne, getting reservations at the nicest restaurant he can find. Um, I won't make a joke there. Buying a reservation at the nicest restaurant he can find. All the takeout a girl doesn't even exist. <laughs> he, he's doing all this work kind of trying to create meaning when there really is, there's no br- bigger meaning to live all those things into. There's, no, there's not going to be any satisfaction in that pursuit. He's just made a bunch of noise with no greater purpose. If we invest all our energy and concern attempting to achieve an impossible outcome, the end of that pursuit will result in more disappointment and deforming desire. So what do we see when we look 
at the Christ child. What do we see when we look at the manger? There in that stable, there being brought to the temple, God is working out the why of it all. There he is at work to put on display his glory, his majesty, his mercy by redeeming a people that he loves through a rescue that he himself undertakes. He sends his son, God the son, the second member of the Trinity, adds to himself humanity, becoming like us so that he might rescue his people. Becomes like us that he might rescue us This is what he does. We, having rebelled and gone astray in our sin, having marched out our own insurrection by continuing to try to make meaning for ourselves instead of understanding and submitting to and rejoicing in his great meaning, our insurrection, instead of embracing him, we need him to act to bring about our rescue. We are unable to create it. We need him to rescue us, and this is what he does. The brilliant and blazing center of his glory, the life, the incarnation, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His redeeming work to show God's goodness, his glory, and his infinite worth. Do you know this maker of all meaning? Do you know him through the reconciliation offered to you through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. All of your longing will be forever multiplied and ultimately unsatisfied until it finds its rest in Him. C.S. Lewis quote we've been mentioning through this series that if I, if I find myself nothing in this world that will, which will satisfy me, perhaps I was made for a different world. If I find myself longings that never get satisfied in the things of this world, maybe it's because we're longing for the wrong things. Maybe we're longing for the wrong someone. There is no meaning outside of Him, and no meaning will make you make will be anything if it's not anchored in Him. Will you turn from your self-made meaning and trust in Him today? And I want to push this just a, f- a bit farther. When it comes to longing, it doesn't stay in its own lane. What you long for, you live for. It begins to guide and direct all that you do. So if you are his and longing for this king who one day will return and make all things new, not only do we hope in that great future, but knowing that that future day will make countless impact and longing for that future day makes countless impacts on this day today, right here, right now. What gives you strength to love and teach your children? It is sometimes the quietest, most, uh, I don't want to say most unrewarding, because there's plenty of reward in it, but not thanked for. Like rarely when you get done uh, loving your kids or disciplining your kids or reading a Bible story, like do they say, well, thank you, Daddy. I'm so glad you taught me about Jesus today. It's a struggle all the way through. But what gives you strength? to care and to love and teach your children, knowing that doing so, even as small and insignificant as it seems at times, is anchored in God's greater purpose, redeeming a people for himself. And I anchor all that I do in that. And so every small contribution, because it isn't, it isn't lobbied, it isn't given to try to build up my own personal meaning, but it's leveraged into this great thing God is doing, it now has incredible significance because it's anchored in something bigger. 
What gives you encouragement as December 26th rolls around? I know you're all excited, or I'm in. I get Monday off, you know? I, get, I don't have to go in to my other job, but December 26th rolls around, and I have to get up and go into my regular 9 to 5. It's actually 7.30 to 4, but I have to go in for my regular job, you know? And, and what, what is going to, what, what can get us up and, and moving forward in, in that just very mundane, routine situation of life? It's knowing that by walking faithfully in the domains that God has providentially arranged for us, trusting Him and loving our neighbor as we do so, we can rest that we are anchored in His grand purpose. My 7.30 to 4 job is not what's anchoring me and giving my life meaning. It is the, the thousands of tiny ways that my life providentially, gladly, faithfully submitted to Him finds themselves anchored in this great thing that God is doing. And finding yourself there actually gives yourself meaning. What can provoke us to love our neighbor who may not ever be able to give us anything in return, knowing that it all plays a role in God's great purpose, means satisfied with finding ourselves settled in his working on our behalf and not in our working for ourselves. All this longing that's felt all around us, it's not unique. It's a product of our separation from God and our chasing of our own purpose. The question is not, will we long? In this broken world, we will long. But the question is, will we long rightly? Will we long with longings that will one day be satisfied? Look at the manger. Look with Simeon at this Christ child and the fulfillment of God's purposes. Look with Simeon and rejoice. See the God who works his purposes for his glory and for the good of his people and find your rest in him alone. Let's pray. Father, would you this morning give us eyes to see what Simeon saw? That there would be an unapologetic rejoicing that you are the God who is fulfilling his purposes to redeem a people for yourself and to so satisfy them with yourself. That fullness of joy is is almost embarrassingly weak language to talk about the gladness that is there that in the fullness of time you sent forth your son born under the law to redeem people under the law that they might have adoption as sons and daughters that they might be brought into your family god would you give us eyes to see this great purpose you're working Father, would you convict us that we would turn aside from all the purposes to, to make ourselves something and rest in the God who has made everything and works everything to his appointed end for our good, for his glory, for your glory, God. Would you draw us, help us to see that, draw us into it and to find our joy in it alone. Pray these things in Jesus' name.